Hello, divers. Welcome to another shiny, happy edition of Mysteries of the Deep. This week, we'll dive into a home video format that came to market just after video cassettes and touted superior picture and sound. It struggled at first, then made a stunning comeback, only to finally die once and for all at the turn of the 21st century. Mysteries of the Deep presents Whatever Happened to Laserdisc. Full disclosure here. <laughs> I was fully bitten by the Laserdisc bug during the 1990s. I was indoctrinated to the format by my good friend Jeffrey K. Howard, better known as the Vegas film critic, who's by the way, terrific celebrity interviews can be found on YouTube. I remember being skeptical at first. I thought that laser discs were a dead format, I said. I was wrong at the time. But by the end of the decade, for all intents and purposes, Laserdisc was done. What went wrong? Well, it wasn't so much about that as what went too right. We'll get to what that means later, but first, a little history lesson. The ability to record video optically on a disc was patented over 50 years ago in 1970. It was developed by two men, David Paul Gregg and James Russell. The two had, separately, created their own unique methods but combined their talents to create the Laserdisc format. Now, it took nearly a decade of refinements before Laserdisc was ready to enter the consumer marketplace in 1978. Now, the record album-sized, sleek-looking, reflective discs debuted a couple of years after VHS and Betamax cassette tapes, and several years before its smaller cousin, the CD or compact disc. No one could have foreseen at the time that the form factor of the CD would foretell the doom of Laserdisc over a decade later. Once the format had been created, the question remained, what company would make the discs and what would be on them? The answer was the Music Corporation of America or MCA. Another question, branding. What should these things be called? Names like optical video disc system, reflective optical video disc, laser optical video disc, and DiscoVision were tossed around. Now remember, this was 1978, so guess which one they picked. Yep, DiscoVision. Oh, I bet the powers that be never thought that would get old. Needless to say, it was changed to Laser Vision a few years later. MCA, being affiliated with Universal Pictures, had access to a huge library of films they could release on the Laserdisc format. What did they choose as the first movie to be released on Laserdisc? It was a film that, three years earlier, took the biggest bite out of the box office than any other film before it. 
there is a creature alive today who has survived millions of years of evolution without change, without passion, and without logic. It lives to kill. A mindless eating machine. It will attack and devour anything. It is as if God created the devil and gave him jaws. The Laserdisc version of the 1975 Steven Spielberg blockbuster Jaws went on sale December 11, 1978. Now, the first discs released with feature films were sold for a fairly reasonable price of around $25 each. The players, however, started at around $800 in 1978 dollars. That's roughly $3,500 today. It's a lot of money considering that the Laserdisc format was not without its flaws. More on that later. Magnavox, which was the American consumer product brand from European electronics giant Philips, released their Magnavision Laserdisc player. Now, all that was needed was a way to get people to actually buy them. Magnavox needed a beloved celebrity who was well known for explaining complex scientific information to television viewers. Their choice was fascinating. Yes, I can understand you. I'm Leonard Nimoy. Interesting. A record player that produces beautiful sound and pictures through my TV. What is it called? Ah, Magnavision. Gourmet video for people who know and love video. I see. The system consists of this Magnavision optical video disc player, a laser vision video disc, and my TV. The encoded information on this disc is read by a laser beam. Hmm. That means that the picture and sound quality must be far superior to videotape reproduction. I understand. Yes, that's Star Trek's Leonard Nimoy introducing America to laser discs. And you can't see it, but he's talking to a blinking piece of crystal. Yeah. Look up Leonard Nimoy and Magnavision on YouTube for the full freaky experience. Now, at first, these players and discs were sold only in certain test markets, like Atlanta, Georgia. It wasn't until 1981 that the format was rolled out nationwide. Sales were strong at first, if not spectacular. As expected, those more technically inclined and with the requisite disposable income were early adopters of the format. However, like the old fable, The Tortoise and the Hare, the VCR with its VHS and Betamax tapes far outpaced the Laserdisc in sales over the years. Of course, the last laugh would ultimately belong to the Laserdisc, or more specifically, its smaller cousin, the DVD. But that's another show. As I said earlier, the Laserdisc format had a lot going for it, like superior picture quality and sound, but it had its drawbacks as well. Initially, production problems with both the discs and the players were giving those early adopters fits. The early Laserdisc players were heavy, noisy, 
and the build quality could be less than solid. However, the worst offenders were the discs themselves. Originally, the discs were manufactured in an environment where dust, hair, and other particulates could get stuck in between the layers on the disc itself. Also, the adhesive used to bind the two sides of the disc together was of poor quality. Now, these factors led to the formation of tiny air bubbles being trapped inside the discs. Those bubbles could cause the aluminum layer in the discs to corrode, leading to the discs becoming unreadable by the player. The phenomena affected many of the early Laserdisc releases and was not so affectionately referred to as laser rot. Now, aside from those issues, there were two other more esoteric complaints about the format. Complaints that dogged it throughout its entire product lifetime. One, unlike VHS and Betamax tape, you couldn't record on a Laserdisc. It was a read-only format. Secondly, the technology at the time allowed for only 30 to 60 minutes of video per side. For a full-length film, you had to get up and flip the disc over to see the rest. If the film was lengthy, you needed a second disc, which was even more of a hassle. By the end of the 1980s, VCRs were in nearly every American home. There was a video rental store around every corner where you could find thousands of tapes to rent or buy. The Laserdisc, by comparison, was sputtering along, with players being used in only around one million American homes. And then, something unexpected happened. After years of stagnant sales, laser disc players are starting to take off. <laughs> Manufacturers are hoping that these machines will do to the VCR what the compact disc did to the LP. There's no question the laser disc is becoming more popular, especially with movie buffs. People who really love movies and like watching them at home uh, are discovering on a daily or weekly basis that this is the best way to watch a movie at home. During what would become the last decade of its existence, the Laserdisc made something of a comeback. With most of the technical drawbacks resolved, the format became a safe space for cinephiles and collectors. The unique properties of Laserdiscs allowed for things like secondary audio tracks. Directors, producers, and actors could add their running commentary, lending their insights into the film's production. The first company to take advantage of this feature and one that's credited with ushering in a new era of film preservation and presentation, was the Criterion Collection. The arrival of video discs was received with much ballyhoo on the part of producers in recent years and with very little acceptance on the part of the consumer. Now there is new hope for success. Leonard Malton has that story. King Kong has good reason to be upset. In the more than 50 years since his film was made, many prints and even negatives have become badly worn and damaged. The old ape could do nothing more than stand by and swallow it. But this print is in remarkable shape, and there's a reason for that. Thanks to a Los Angeles-based company called Criterion, King Kong of the 30s has found his way onto Laserdisc of the 80s. A laser actually reads the signal electronically 
there is no deterioration, no matter how many times you use it, the, the disc itself can be handled, it's virtually indestructible, and the image remains as good as it was the day you bought it for innumerable uses. King Kong on disc was recorded from the original film negative in the Library of Congress. Criterion has also put Citizen Kane on disc and hopes to add more titles to the library. Beyond the advantages of picture quality and durability, LaserDisc also gives the serious film student instant access to any scene, to study frame by frame if he wants with perfect clarity. Other parts of the Criterion package are a special audio channel for King Kong with background commentary from film scholar Ron Haver. Now watch very carefully when Kong picks up Fay Ray. And visual essays following each film which describe how they were made. This video disc library may be the greatest boon yet to film buffs. A perfect marriage of Hollywood's oldest treasures and the video world's newest technology. Criterion became kind of a boutique label, taking great care in restoring older films and making newer ones look and sound as good as possible. They also led the way in producing bonus features on their discs like trailers, documentaries, and deleted scenes. The success of Criterion's special edition discs led to other companies following suit. But that's only part of the story. There were a couple of other reasons why the Laserdisc became the go-to format for film fans and collectors. Movie directors began taking advantage of the format to literally re-edit their films for release on disc. This was the beginning of the director's cut. It's commonplace now to see unrated versions of movies appearing on streaming services, but in the 1990s, letting a director go back and recut their original work was an incredibly exciting prospect for movie lovers. The other, and I would argue main reason, why Laserdisc was embraced by cinephiles was letterboxing. Before the days of HDTV, most television screens were primarily curved square boxes. Movie screens, on the other hand, are rectangular. So when you watched a rectangular movie on a square screen, some of the picture on both the left and the right sides was cut off. Not ideal for a filmmaker who specifically shot their movie for a rectangular screen. It made a huge difference. Hey, but don't let me try to convince you of that. Here's a guy who might know, Steven Spielberg. I do as much storytelling within my frame as I think a writer does when he, in this case, when I wrote the script, and try to tell a beginning, middle, and end, three acts. I put a lot of information into the frame. And often on television, when our widescreen Panavision movies are panned and scanned, you're only seeing half a movie. You're only seeing the pertinent information, usually the actors who are talking and they're performing and the information is being transmitted through their dialogue and through their emotions. But you don't see a lot of what I'm trying to do as a director because the information that's on the left side of the frame, you're just not seeing because your TV set's a square and you're missing out on composition, which is also a form of storytelling, where the mountain Devil's Tower is juxtaposed to where the people are standing. Uh, if it's important that you see Devil's Tower next to the people, the camera on television, on, on normal television, has to electronically either pan over to show the tower, which is a pan I never intended to do as I directed the film, or you make an electronic cut or an edit, and you flick over to the left side of the frame and I never intended a cut to be made there, but which takes the rhythm of the scene and just ruins it. 
Being able to watch a movie at home the way it was originally intended was like manna from heaven for those who cared about maintaining a film's visual integrity. Laserdisc sales went up. Way up. Movie studios were falling over each other to produce special editions of their films for Laserdisc. One of the most vocal proponents of the special edition was Avatar and Titanic director James Cameron. He saw the format as a way to not only show the best possible version of his films, but to also educate people on how those films were made. The Laserdisc boom of the 1990s led to a renaissance in film restoration. Even low-budget classics like the original Night of the Living Dead were given first-class upgrades in picture and sound. Laserdisc players were also selling well, with newer models even capable of playing both sides of a disc without being manually flipped over. And for a while there, it looked like Laserdisc would become the premier format for high-quality home entertainment. Things were looking up for a while. But it all collapsed rather quickly. And all signs point to one reason in particular. This is DVD. And this Whoa! is what happens when you watch DVD. It's a movie on a disc the size of a CD. The picture is twice as sharp as VHS. The sound is infinitely clearer. It looks and sounds like you're at the movies, but you can experience it at home. Not to mention, you can watch it in widescreen, pick your language, choose from features like director's notes, behind-the-scenes footage, trailers, and more. Watch a movie right on your computer. And rent or buy DVDs from these great Hollywood studios. DVD. See how good a movie at home can be. With over 5,000 titles to choose from, make sure you see your next movie on DVD. Yeah. First introduced in 1996, DVDs, or digital versatile discs, were smaller and lighter than laser discs. Their players were more affordable and could also play music CDs. You could get an entire film on one side of a DVD, so there was no flipping. And DVDs had the same kind of bonus features as a Laserdisc. Video rental stores like Blockbuster embraced the DVD. They took up less storage space than VHS tapes, and there was no need to be kind, rewind. It was these factors that led to the quick demise of the Laserdisc. By the end of the year 2000, manufacturers ceased producing laser discs for the consumer market. In Japan, where the format was more popular, releases continued for another year. But all the laser disc manufacturers converted their factories to DVD production. Interestingly, laser disc players continued to be produced up until 2009, although these were mostly used as karaoke machines in Japan. One of the last Laserdiscs to be released in the U.S. was, uh, appropriately enough, the Arnold Schwarzenegger action-horror hybrid End of Days. But what about these days? Well, there are still a sizable number of Laserdisc aficionados out there and a robust amount of buying and selling on eBay. 
both players and discs can be found there. The discs can go anywhere from 99 cents to thousands of dollars, depending on the title. But there are still movies that were released on Laserdisc that were never made available on DVD. The most notorious example? That's right. Walt Disney's 1946 musical adaptation of the Uncle Remus stories, published between 1881 and 1907. Because of Song of the South's stereotypical depiction of African Americans, the Walt Disney Company has never released the film in any home video format in the United States. Not on VHS or Betamax, not on DVD, and not on the Disney Plus streaming service. However... Song of the South was in fact released on Laserdisc. Not in the US, but in Japan. As of this recording, several copies of that disc are available for purchase on eBay in the $150 to $300 range. Now there were many other uses for Laserdiscs than just for movies. In the 1980s and 90s, several video games like the classics Space Ace, Dragon's Lair and Astron Belt used the discs during gameplay. Discs are still being used by corporations and museums to store still images and other data. But after Laserdisc's untimely passing, DVDs became incredibly popular. Then came Blu-ray, then came streaming. But for those who prefer to physically own the movies they treasure, Laserdiscs will always be fondly remembered. Thanks for listening. If this is the first time you've heard this podcast, check out our past episodes and subscribe so you don't miss a single one. And we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at the deep dive podcast at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feeds. You can find links to those on our Linktree site, the Deep Dive Podcast by Automaton. And don't forget to check out our official website, thedeepdivepodcast.com. All clips used in this podcast are meant for educational purposes only and not to infringe on existing copyrights. Mysteries of the Deep is a production of Automaton Studios. Fascinating.